Hello, and welcome to our holiday series. I'm Pastor Marco Quintana, and today we continue our six-part Christmas and holiday series, airing only on our podcast. Today's teaching is taken from my 2017 Christmas message entitled, Christmas in the Book of Hebrews. Salvation is found in no other, but only in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to read from the book of Luke as you're turning to uh, Hebrews. I'm going to read... uh, the Nativity passage, which relates to the coming of the Lord and what the angel said to Mary. You're in Hebrews 2, I'm in Luke 1, but just listen to what this says. The angel told Mary, don't be afraid, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked, how can this be, since I have not been intimate with the man? An angel replied, the angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. What a beautiful, beautiful reminder that Christmas, as we, as we celebrate Christmas, it's not something that we do on December 25th or 24th only, uh, but it's to be done in accordance to what the Lord has done for us. It's a salvation that he's brought to us. And uh, what, a, what a wonderful message that was, the coming of the Lord. And the reason why I picked the book of Hebrews, now that, you, now that I'm going to be with you guys on the same page, uh, because this was written to Christians who were looking back to the birth of Jesus, who were looking back at the founding of the church, who were looking back at the beginning of Christianity. And they were Jews. They were Jewish believers who lived in the part of Jerusalem, area of Israel. And they were being tempted to walk away from the Lord into, their specific case was the temple worship, going back under Judaism. And they were tempted to leave such a great salvation. They were tempted to because of the persecution that existed, it was much easier for them to go to the synagogue, to go to the temple, and escape all the persecutions that being a Christian brought upon. But they were part of a, a family of Christians. These were second, third generation Christians. Uh, this would be like our children or our, our grandchildren. Uh, they were tempted to go away from God and away from the great salvation that Jesus purchased for us on the cross and they were going to give it all up for security. They were going to get willing to give it up for the synagogue and the temple because they thought they were still, well, you know what, if we still go to the temple, that's something to do with God, doesn't it? And the book of Hebrews reminds us as it looks back to the exclusivity of Jesus, to the supremacy of Jesus, and this is why it's Jesus is the source of our salvation. We celebrate the nativity. We celebrate the coming of the Lord. But we look back and go, what does that mean for us today now? We look back 2,000 years ago. How does that affect me the Monday morning that I go to work or the Monday morning that I show up to school or how I deal with my wife or my children or et cetera? How does that affect me? How does the birth of the Lord affect me? And how does it affect how I walk with the Lord today? I can't be back there 2,000 years ago. I can't look ahead yet because tomorrow is not promised to anybody. 
I only have today. I only have today. And today is the only thing that I have to be accountable for. It's today. What do I do with Jesus today? It's the question. Not what we're going to do with him tomorrow or what we did 20 years ago or 2,000 years ago. It's what we do with Jesus today. And how does the message of the nativity, the, the, the Christmas message, affects us today? Let's read very quickly in Hebrews chapter 2. This is what the writer of Hebrews tells Christians who were in that area, but Christians for all over the world, to us. Hebrews 2 verse 1. We must therefore pay attention to what we have heard so that we will not drift away. The easy temptation for any Christian that have been around for a long time in churches. You guys have grew up in churches, have parents that were Christians. You might be the second generation. You might be third generation, maybe first generation. But the problem sometimes is we've heard it all before. I'm just going to sleep through this. I'm just going to walk through this and just kind of pretend time is already up. And I'm just going to go and, and, and kind of go through my normal life. And the writer of Hebrews knows this. He knows our propensities, even as Christians, to know this message again. And it becomes redundant. And then he says, look, when it starts becoming redundant, it's because you really haven't fully grasped the, the fullness of Jesus. If you really understood the fullness of Christ, who he is, and his supreme being, um, you will not only pay attention to the message, but you will be proclaiming the message, and you will be doing the message. Doing, meaning living out your faith, walking with the Lord in excitement. And, and uh, it's, it's not just all emotion, but it's the excitement of knowing the Lord, and being saved, and walking in his salvation. And so he says, be careful what you heard, so you won't drift away. I've been told that um, uh, Christmas and Easter are the only times that people come to church. Um, that's probably true, uh, knowing how, you know, throughout the world, churches swell up, and then they go back to normal after that. And there have been many people that come to church with the, oh yeah, you know, my mom used to go, my grandma used to go. I just go a couple of times a year. And this is a message for them as well as for us. Be careful what you've heard, lest at any time you drift away from the teachings of the Lord. For if the message spoken through by angels was legally binding, uh, the transgression and obedience received a just punishment, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? That it was first spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. At the same time, God also testified with signs and wonders, various miracles, and distribution of gifts from the Holy Spirit according to his will. Jesus is the source of salvation. Let's go to the next slide. Jesus is better than anything. It's the book of Hebrews point. He's better than anything you will ever do. So why do you spend so much time on that, whatever that is, and less time seeking the Lord, seeking Jesus, seeking his person, the work of his person in his life, the work of his spirit in your life. And remember, these are not, they're not oblivious to this. They know this. These are believers. These are second generation, third generations who are being tempted. Some of them have been gone to the temple already. And so there was a lot of questions among the group. Well, what happened to so-and-so? Why, why are they going to the temple? I mean, they know the truth. Why are they? And remember, the temple had been still standing there, but the, the, the sacrifices of the temple were done away with by, the, by Jesus dying on the cross. They were done away with. They were not effective anymore, even though they were still going on. There was a sort of a religious thing going on in the temple, but the real sacrifice was already paid. The real salvation had already been purchased by Jesus on the cross. And so the question was, why are they going away to the temple? Why are they 
drifting away from the Lord if they know this better? And, and that's the question to a lot of us. Maybe we know somebody, maybe family members. They know, Pastor, they know better, but why are they doing this? Uh, because they have really been subjected to temptation of leaving the Lord for something else. And that could happen to all of us. That's what the scripture tells us, not to be arrogant about that, but to actually with compassion try to win them back. Try to win them back because that could be us too, if we're not careful. Now, these Jewish believers were being told, Jesus is better. Forget the temple, forget everything else. Stay with Jesus. Stay with the fellowship that, you were, that you're at. Remember, there were believers persecuted, and they were tempted to go away from the persecution by taking the easy road. The easy road, go to the temple, go to the synagogue, which was empty, hollow, spiritually bankrupt. But they thought, hey, this is safety. Hey, I'm not going to get uh, persecuted today if I just go there. And, uh, you know, who wants to really just hear the same message again? I could just enjoy, you know, the, some religious activity. And the book of Hebrews says, stop thinking that way because it's bankrupt. Jesus is the really source of salvation. And so, if you go to the next slide, this were the Jewish believers, tempted from Christ, taking it for granted. Boy, that sounds like America today. We take for granted the message of the Bible, the gospel, and we substitute something nice. We substitute something uh, benign, something uh, safe. What it would be? Uh, well, I just like the Christmas story. I just like the Christmas idea. Um, but I don't want to get into the real details of the Christmas story because uh, that, that gets me a little concerned because uh, that speaks of God coming to man. And, and, and this, this man became uh, Jesus of Nazareth who went to the cross and, and he rose again and he said that if I don't believe in him, I may not have my sins forgiven. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of weary about that message because it it's kind of tells me that there's only one way. I'm not, I'm not really comfortable with only one way. And see, that's how people today will see the message like that. The, the Christmas story is fine. We can watch the movies. We can get the gifts. We can do the thing, da-da-da-da-da-da. But don't tell me the details because if ah, you tell me the details, then I'm accountable now. I'm accountable because I heard the message. And the message is not a a message that you can just lay aside and go, oh, that's a nice story, it's a nice fable, some nice uh, things to say around the campfire. This is the real message of God, the real message of the scriptures that it's going to deliver us into salvation, into eternity. Now, don't leave the gospel, is what, what the writer of Hebrews says. Don't leave the gospel, if you go to the next slide. Don't leave the gospel because this message, it's about the supremacy of Christ. The supremacy of Christ. He is supreme above everything else that we do. And it means everything to us. How we live our lives. How we treat one another. How we grow as Christians. How we work. How we raise our children. All of it comes to do with this message of Jesus being supreme above everything. And if Jesus is supreme, then it changes really your whole outlook on life. How you view your marriage. How you view your singleness. How you view... Uh, life in general, your work, your career, how you view everything. If Jesus is not supreme, then it really doesn't matter what we do. But if because he is supreme, it matters all there is regarding, um, regarding our lives. Now, the writer says that this was spoken by the Lord and his apostles, those who heard him. Uh, see, this is not new to any one of us. If you've been to church long enough that taught the Bible, that teaches the Bible, you will hear this message. This was started by the Lord. He taught the message. The apostles taught the message. And those who heard him went on and on and on. And it was proven that they were true disciples, true apostles. 
because the gospel was confirmed through their teaching. There were great miracles, great signs and wonders in that part of the world during the ministry of Jesus. Uh, but don't get caught up on the signs and wonders and the miracles and all that stuff, because remember, they, they, they said to Jesus, show us a sign, show us a miracle. He had just done a bunch of them. He just said, fed 5,000 with five loaves and two fish, and they came to him, show us a sign. Hello, he just fed them. He just fed them. Why would you? See, the problem wasn't the sign that they were looking for. They wanted a sign that they liked. They wanted to have what they wanted. Remember what I said last time in the book of Luke? This generation, the generation that was doing that, it's called, it's called an evil generation. And don't think of you know, just you know, gangsters and people that are immoral, that are evil. He was talking to a generation that was very, very religious, very prim and proper. They probably all wore suits that day. And uh, like I am today, this is a few times that you will see me in one of those. Um, but they were very prim and proper religious people. And Jesus called them an evil generation. How unloving. How non-PC he is. Well, the idea of an evil generation, it's a generation that wants to do their own thing. That wants to hear what they want to hear. Wants to do what they want to do. And they want to believe what they want to believe. That, according to the Bible, is an evil generation. Maybe you have a problem with the word evil, but it's just talking about they just want to do their own thing. And even if God himself was telling them, you ever heard people say, well, unless God himself was telling me to do that, I will never He was telling them. See, the condition of mankind is to do what they want to do, no matter if the truth is standing in front of them. And if they're convinced of that, man, that's all there is. And Jesus said, hey, you, you want a sign and a wonder? I'll give you a sign and a wonder. I'm going to rise from the dead. And when I rise from the dead, I'm going to die and rise from the dead. When I die and rise from the dead, you will be accountable to repent and believe. And if you don't do those two things, then you don't believe in me. And they didn't like that sign. <laughs> they got so angry at Jesus. They finally did kill him. They finally uh, did what, they, what, what, what was prophesied, that they, he was going to die. Now, in verse 5, it tells us that Jesus is greater than the angels. We've told that in, verse, in chapter 1. But here's something unique. He quotes from Psalm chapter 8. Psalm chapter 8. Go to the next slide, Dwight. He, he quotes from Psalm chapter 8. Psalm chapter 8 is a beautiful psalm if you read it. Uh, Lord, who, you know, he created. What is, my, what is man that you're mindful of him? You created everything with the work of your hands, the work of your fingers, all the things that had created. What is my, man that you're mindful of him? And he talks about mankind being a little lower than the angels. But all things on the earth were subjected under man. God gave to man dominion over, over, over the world. That's true, and the book of Genesis tells us that. But sin happened, and therefore not all things are now under subjection of man. Therefore, nature itself, there's conflict in the world because of sin. Uh, it's one of the reasons I believe the Bible is true, because I see it. I could see the world, and I look at the Bible and I go, hey, it doesn't contradict. It says that not all things are going to be subjected under mankind. Is all things subjected under mankind? No. You ever heard of uh, Greenpeace and Save the Planet, Save the Whales and the Snails? What are they trying to do? They're trying to save the planet. Why? Because they say, oh, there's things that are not in order, and we need mankind to come in and fix everything, because not everything is subjected to mankind. Yep, that's what the Bible says. But it, see, why did that happen? Oh, it's just the way it is, evolution. No, it's not. It's sin. It's sin. That's, not, that's what happened. We, cut off, we got cut off from God because of our own sin, our own personal sin, yes, but also the sin of our 
fathers, especially our first mom and dad, Adam and Eve. That's what Psalm 8 is about. But this, the writer of Hebrews says, no, Psalm 8 is not just about that. It's true. It is about mankind, but it's about Jesus. And he says, we see Jesus. Verse, um, verse 9. But we see Jesus made a little lower than the angels for a short time. See, he's going to tell us about the humanity of Jesus. See, the beauty of the Lord is just not the fact that he, uh, that he came. We all think of, yeah, Jesus came. People know Christmas. It's, yeah, wasn't Jesus born? But who is Jesus? Oh, well, we don't know. Remember chapter 1 was telling them that they, they thought Jesus had, they had different teachings about Jesus. They have various teachings about Jesus. In fact, um, this is, I'll give you a shortcut to church history. Um, if you study church history, just what happens in the churches, the first 300 years, every heresy, everything that was wrong with doctrine, what they taught about Jesus, was all started in those three centuries. All the things we hear today, all the things that they say about Jesus, all the false things they say about Jesus, that's just a rehash of what was done a long time ago. It's just, it's just a redone. They repackage it. It looks different. But, oh, it's the same thing. Jesus is not God. That's one of the big things that they, have, that they said. Jesus is not God. So the book of Hebrews says, no, Jesus is God. He's above the angels. He's God himself. In fact, in the Bible, it says that, that he's the Messiah. And even God puts, right next, puts him right next to uh, the Father. Father and Jesus sits at the right hand of, of the Father, Jesus. Why? Because he's God. But don't forget this part. And this is what the book of Hebrews goes with. He is a man fully human being with all the weaknesses and all the frailty of a human body. What do you mean the frailty of a human body? Well, because Jesus is God, uh, God is everywhere, anywhere, and everywhere at the same time. We call that omnipresence, right? Omnipresence is everywhere at the same time. God is in the past. God is in the future. God is in the present all at the same time. Uh, he doesn't need to, when he looks ahead, he could see us in eternity. He can look back to Adam and Eve. He can see us in the present, all happening at the same time. That's, that's who God is. He can be there everywhere at the same time. He could be physically everywhere at the same time in history and geography. He could be with our brothers and sisters in China, our brothers and sisters in Middle East. He can be everywhere, anywhere. That's God. But when Jesus became a man, he isolated himself to one geographic location. He could only be in one place at one time as a human. He can only, uh, he can only travel so far before he got tired. He, was, he dealt with the weaknesses of falling asleep, being tired, being thirsty, being hungry. All those things of humanity that we, we deal with. The book of Hebrews says he was made a little lower than the angels for a short time. He became a man for us. So that by God's grace he may taste death for everyone. This is really the message of Christmas. Jesus as a man can only die for one person. A life for a life. Right? That's what the Bible says. Jesus as a man, only as a man, can only die for one person. In his life or your life. But the book of Hebrews says in verse 9 that he tasted death for every man. How can he do that if he's just a man? Because the Bible says he's God. He can taste death for every person. He can taste death for all humanity. But as a man, he can taste death for humanity because... If he wasn't a man, he couldn't do it. You see, the problem with mankind was sin. The problem with mankind is we don't have somebody that's perfect, that can go to God and die for us as a man, 
give his life as a sacrifice, and God accepts the sacrifice because he's perfect. There's no man like that except Jesus himself. But because he's only, if he was only a man, he could only do it for one person. As great as that sounds, he could only do it for one person. But because he's God, he can cover all humanity for all time. Past, present, and future. His blood atones for all sin because he's God. And see, that's the beauty of, the, of, of Christmas. God became a man to die for us. And he might test death, death for everybody, crowned with, uh, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of his death, where it was fitting in bringing many sons to glory. You ever heard that song? Bring many sons to glory. It's right out of this passage here. Bring many sons to glory. Why? Uh, when Jesus came as a baby, grew up, died on the cross, rose from the dead, he took us captive. When we believed in him and trusted in him, he took us captive. We've been captivated by him, and he is going to bring us into glory. Bring many sons to glory. Because the purpose of his creation, remember this, the creation, us, the creation that God started way back in the garden, the purpose of us was for us to be with him. That was the purpose of God wanting to be our creator, that we could be his friend, that we can love him, that we can follow him, that he could, we could experience how wonderful God is. And so he created mankind with the purpose of them being his family, his children, his sons and daughters. That's what God wanted all along. It's still he wants that from all of us all along. That's creation. But as you know, and as you experience in your life, you and I have sinned. It separates us from God. It's called the fall of man. Weaknesses in our characters and our flaws and our impulses and our flesh that becomes a rebellion against God. Everything, you know, you ever, you ever read uh, as you're driving and you see a sign that says 65 and you go, 65? 75! Who's still telling me what to do? You see that in kids. Yeah, tell a kid something. Tell them not to do something. What is the first thing they're going to do? Exactly. Where does that come from? And did you teach them? Nope. They are naturally propensities and inclinations are there for doing what they're not supposed to do. Right? It's the rebellion of man. It's just like, you know, don't touch that. Touch it. Don't do that. Do it. Don't run that way. They do it that way. 65, 75. They put new signs. 75, 85. Why? Because we're in constant rebellion against anything that we're not supposed to do. It's called, the huma it's called humanity. It's called our natural impulses. In fact, the Bible says if you begin to regulate it, you rebel more. Right? You've been told something like, you better not do that. And you become even more like, what? I'm like, what's wrong with that? And you begin to investigate and you go, ooh, I want to do that. It's our rebellion. Right? It becomes more sinful. Once you begin to regulate sin, then it becomes more enticing to sin. Don't lie. Well, yeah. What is lying? Can I stretch the truth a little bit? Can I? And you begin to play games with anything that's written down so you can get away with it. And so God intervenes. It's called redemption. God intervenes, becomes the same God who created us, comes to earth, and puts us back on the road of creation, back on the same road that we started, back on the road of being his children, being his family, being his friend. He puts us back on the road through the cross. Now, everyone has to come on their own and believe on their own and trust in the Lord on their own. It's not passed down from one family to another. 
You know, we all become believers by believing on the Lord and receiving his Holy Spirit. That's called born again, my friend. I've never heard of that. Yeah, that's what it's called, born again. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, it says, and you'll be saved. And receive his Holy Spirit as a seal, as a, re as a proof of redemption. Being born of water and the Spirit. Being born of trust in Jesus and, be, and, and receiving his Spirit. It's the only way you're going to make it into heaven, by the way. But that's what the Bible calls us. Redemption requires that we believe on the Lord and receive his Spirit. That's, that's what it's called. And we're back on that road again. We're back on the creation story. But there's a beautiful end. And it's called glorification. God brings all his sons and daughters through all time that believed in him and trusted him and were born again, and he brings them and deposits them in eternity as glory, glorified. Remember the book of Romans chapter 8? Every believer should memorize Romans chapter 8. Really do. Uh, just memorize the whole book of Romans if you want. But chapter 8 is the pinnacle. He says that you need to live in the spirit. That if you want to overcome sin, die to sin. If you want to overcome the law, die to the law. If you want to really live for the Lord, live by the Spirit. Live in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Some people say, what is that? I haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. You know, in the book of Acts, there's people like that. We never even heard of the Holy Spirit. And they were told, the Holy Spirit comes in your life or, or, or resides in your life when you trust in Jesus, when you turn from sin and believe on Him. He comes in. And now you walk in His Spirit, submitted to Him. And he guides you in your life as you walk with Jesus. Well, that's going to be the glorification of it all. It's when he deposits it into glory. All sons of God into glory. Bring many sons to glory. That he whom all things exist, through whom all things exist, should, make the, should be the, make the source of our salvation perfect through sufferings. For the one who sanctifies and who is sanctified all have one father. That's why he's not ashamed to call them brethren. This is... This is the humanity of Jesus. Not only did he die for us, but he also brought us into a glory, a future glory that's going to appear. The future glory is that he is the source of our salvation. The source of our salvation means that he authored it and he drives the boat. That's what it means. He drives the ship. He's the captain. He's the captain of our salvation. You get on the SS Jesus and you... Get on that boat and you, and you ride that boat. Don't get out of the boat and you just keep going on that boat. He is the author. He is the captain. He is the source of our salvation. And that's what Christmas invites us to. See, people are curious about Christmas. Oh, what is that? Baby, did you, Mary, did you know that a baby boy was a son of God? What is that? And people peek in and they find such a glorious thing. The message of Christmas is the message of God, the message of the, the gospel, the message of Jesus. The message that he is the author of our salvation. But it says here he was perfected through sufferings. I have to explain that because people get, get it confused sometimes. Perfected through suffering. Jesus, um, Jesus wasn't perfected in terms of he, he wasn't right and then he suffered and then he became right. Uh, the idea of perfection there has to, has to do with completion. Everything that the Father had him to do as a man, as a Messiah on the earth, he completed it. But the completion of that, he had to suffer. In order for him to complete it, he had to suffer. As God, he, cannot, he doesn't have a body. He cannot die. As a man, as God, as a man, he could die. He could actually be physically put to death. 
but because he's God, he rises from the dead. And the beauty of the gospel is that he suffered before he went to the cross. Jesus endured much suffering before the cross. What do you mean much suffering? The fact that God himself in a human form had to live in this world, had to be physically limited to this world, had to endure the sinfulness of man, the rejection of man, the betrayal of man. Just read the life of Jesus. He was a man of sorrow. Many things happened to Jesus. He was afflicted. Think of the fact that Jesus was rejected. Think of the fact that Jesus showed up to the Jewish people. They had the Old Testament, right? Most of the Bible is the Old Testament. They had the Old Testament, and he shows up to them, and he says, uh, I'm your Messiah. I'm your God. I'm your King. I'm your High Priest. And they killed him. They wanted to kill him. They wanted, to, they wanted nothing to do with him. And he loved them. He wanted to be their Messiah, but they had to accept him and believe in him. And they didn't. Talk about a suffering. So he comes to us, and he says, I'm your God. I'm your creator. I'm the Messiah. I could be your high priest. And people still spurn Jesus today. Even to this day, people still spurn Jesus. The suffering of Jesus on the earth was greater than we can ever imagine. But the temptation, remember when he was in the wilderness, he was tempted to take a shortcut to the cross. Or, or avoid the cross, as you said, a shortcut to glory. God had him planned for Jesus to go through the cross and be glorified. Right? That's the point of the Messiah. He had to suffer and die and then risen again to be the king. The devil said, don't do that. Don't, 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 don't take that road. The road to God seems hard. Come on, man. Listen up. The devil said, I'm going to show you how to do it. Here's how you do it. You bow down to me and you worship me. On the fine print. And you can have all the kingdoms of the earth. It'll all be yours. And Jesus said, no. Thank God he said, no. Jesus said, no, you should worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. That's who you only should serve. It's God. And Jesus resisted the temptation, and he became, through all those sufferings, so imagine all the 33 years of his life, especially, as we're told in the gospel, the last three and a half years of his ministry, all the enduring trials and affliction, at the Garden of Gethsemane, praying, Lord, please have this cup pass for me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. That's, he was submitted to whatever the Father had for him. That's what it means. Jesus was, he learned uh, obedience through suffering. He became perfected through suffering. Because everything the Father had a plan for him, he did it. He completed it. All right? Every guy that works with uh, material things, carpenter, mason, all those, they know what it's like to complete a work. And it's perfected, right? The work is not perfect. You know, there's flaws and things like that, but it's perfected, it's completed. That's what Jesus did. He completed the work, and the work included much, much suffering. And so Christmas reminds us that this, this same Jesus was a baby with little hands, and those little hands became bigger hands, and those hands finally had nails, prints, and blood came from those hands, and from his feet, and from the crown. And you see that little baby boy? A little boy was destined to suffer. Why? I mean, we can't even see. We see a little baby and we go, oh, man, a little baby. We don't have little babies anymore. Our two-year-old thinks she's nine. Four-year-old thinks she's 14. And we have a little baby, but this little baby, Dwight Jr., right? You see a little baby? And you go, how can anybody think of a baby with nail prints in his hand? Well, when they, when they came to Jesus and they brought frankincense, one of the gifts, you know what the... Not frankincense, myrrh, I'm sorry. They brought myrrh. Who would bring 
formaldehyde to a baby shower. You know what formaldehyde is? Okay, it's embalm the bodies, right? Embalm the bodies. It's for people that have died. Why would you bring one to, to a baby shower like that? Oh, because prophetically, Jesus was not only a king, gold, a priest, frankincense, but myrrh, death. Oh, that's pretty heavy. That's pretty heavy for Christmas. I mean, uh, we want to go and enjoy our food and enjoy our shopping. Um, well, we're almost done. We'll let you go shopping in a minute. Verse 10, he brought many sons to glory. Verse 11, for the one who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified have one father. And Jesus is not ashamed to call your brother. Did you know the ultimate thing that God wants to bring us into a relationship with him as, a, as father, but also as brethren of Jesus? He is not ashamed to call your brother. He stooped down to humanity to become your brother. To become your brother. To have one father, to become your own. Why? Because Jesus' humanity. He's human. He's a human being. Fully God, fully human. Many sons to glory. He's the source. He's, he endured all these things. Temptation. And it goes on. I will proclaim your name to my brothers. I will sing hymns to you in the congregation. I won't read some of the Old Testament texts. We're running out of time. But the old, this is full of Old Testament. Uh, seriously, if, you're, if you really want to study the Bible, go back to these passages here that are quoted. Go to the Old Testament and figure out, why is he saying that? This is from Psalm 22. It's called the Psalm of the Messiah who died. On the cross, Psalm 22, sounds like Jesus is on the cross. Amazing psalm. Uh, 700 years before Jesus was even born, this psalm was written. And it was written as Jesus, as if Jesus was on the cross suffering. And in verse 22 of that psalm, it says, I will proclaim your name to my brother, and I will sing to you in the midst of the congregation. And it's a beautiful passage because what Jesus is saying as a man, he is going to worship God in the midst of all of us. Do you know who's the most excited person in worship when we sing? Jesus. Yeah. He sings with deep devotion and love for God. Uh, one thing I would have loved, I mean, I, I don't necessarily want to live in the first century, but just to have seen Jesus, just to have been there, would have been you know, just amazing. But you know what's amazing? It's, it, if you had gone to church with Jesus, what I mean by church, synagogue. He was a Jewish man. He went to synagogue and worshiped God. The devotion that you would have seen in, in Jesus toward his father, because as a man, he loved God. Remember, he, was a, he had to be a man that loved God with all his heart, with all his mind, with all his strength, 24-7. Just to hear him, what he would sound like, that love and a passionate devotion to his Father. Oh, we have a lot of things to learn from the Lord. But he says, I will sing hymns. Jesus sings. <laughs> Jesus sings in the midst of the congregation. And by the way, the, congreg the word congregation means, um, it necessarily means church. I know we use word church, um, it, it literally means a congregation of people. Um, because in our English, we use church for a building, you know, a mitra church, you know, a building. Uh, but that's really, that's not the way we should use that word. The word is really congregation, congregation of people. What do they do? In the Old Testament, when Moses called them out, come out and congregate. They came to hear the word of God together. They came to worship the Lord, their God together. That's a congregation. You know what a real congregation is? Those who come together, you come out of your places, come out of where you are, and you come out and you congregate together. There's a calling, 1030, 1030 we get together and worship the Lord. 
and you get your best suit on or you get your shorts on or whatever it is, and you come and you congregate together. That's what a congregation is. Um, to, you, know, you congregate to hear the word of God. That's an important thing because many people come to church, but they come to church for whatever, Christmas, uh, Easter. And they just come together. But is it a real congregation that wants to hear the word of God? That's what Jesus is saying here. In the midst of those who want to hear the word of God, in the midst of those who have a passion and love for God, I'm going to be in the midst of them. And I'm going to be singing. Oh, man, to hear Jesus sing, I will trust in him. Now, as, as we finish, let's drop down very quickly to verse 14. Now, since children, we have flesh and blood in common. He also shared in these things so that through his death, he will destroy the one holding the power of death. That is the devil. That the, uh, and free those who were in slavery all their lives for the fear, by the fear of death. The coming of Jesus, I will refer to you to 1 John. Jesus was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. That's one amazing verse. Destroy the works of the devil. What is the work of the devil? The power of sin and the power of death over you and over me. If you've never come to Christ, if you're not a believer, if you're not born again, the power of death, fear of death, and the power of sin still over your life. No! That's not me! Oh, yeah. Because you can't stop sinning. You can only choose where you're going to sin. That's all you can do. But you are going to sin. Because Jesus has come and he destroyed the power of the devil. The power of the devil. Sin and death. The fear of death, gone. The power of sin, gone. Why? Because we live by a different law now. We live by the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, you're above the law. You're above sin. Now, do we sin? Yes, it happens. But that's not because of God. That's because we're willing to go with our own desires, the Bible says. We're willing to follow our own desires. But the Christian has the power over sin now. We don't have to sin. Headline news, CNN. Mankind doesn't have to sin. Why, says Will Blitzer? Because Jesus has died and rose again and given you his spirit. If you believe in him, you could be born again. And you don't have to sin with that girl. You don't have to sin with that guy. You don't have to smoke that. You don't have to do any of that stuff. You can live by the spirit. He has destroyed the back of the power of sin. It no longer has control over you. Hello. Hallelujah. Right? Oh my goodness, the greatest news I've ever heard. Why? Because I know I sin. And I used to sin a lot more. I used to be a professional sinner. I used to be so good at it. You wouldn't want me in this pulpit. I don't tell people much of my testimony. Why? You would question, how did this man get up there? Jesus. That's all. A professional sinner. We all were, by the way, in some capacity or another, if you admit it. But he broke the power of sin, so you don't have to sin now. You could be free from that bondage. You free from you want to just stop sinning. People come to me all the time. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm tired of getting high. I'm tired of getting drunk. I'm tired of sleeping around. Just I said, yes, you can. You have the power to do that through Jesus. If you believe on him and born again, you could. Some people don't. They go back to their own sin. They go back to the same road. And yet the power over that death, over, those, over, over sin and over the fear of death is gone. It could be gone. Verse 17. Therefore, he had to be like his brethren in every way 
so that he can come, become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. That's a big word. I didn't explain that one. For he himself was tested and suffered. He is able to help those who are tested. See, the beauty of the Lord Jesus, he's still alive. He's still alive in the same way he went up, it's the same way he can come down. We've been reading Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, it has been a magnificent letter of opening our eyes to the soon return of Jesus. But Christmas is coming again, by the way. Christmas is going to happen again. Christmas is, Jesus came. Christmas will be, Jesus will come. And when he's here, it will be the glorious day of your life. It will be the most, I mean, think of the best day of your life. And just, that's not even compared. It will become the most glorious day in your life. The victory that will be shouted through the air. As the Lord says, he will descend from heaven with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, with a shout. It's the loudest verse in the Bible, by the way. Loud. God likes loud. Shout. Trumpet. Voice. Trump of God. Voice of the archangel. Shout. Everybody's going to know something happened. Everybody's going to know that Jesus has come for his people. It's going to be an amazing thing. Christmas is coming again. Yes, it is. But in the meantime, what do we do? We have a high priest. We have a high priest that's just in the humanity like your humanity. He understands what it's like to be Joel and Mark. He understands what it's like to be Rob and Susie and Greg and Priscilla. He understands it. Why? He's been in their shoes, yet without sin. He can tell us and he could comfort us and he could explain the word of God to us in such a way that we don't have to sin. And when we're tested and when we're tempted, we can go to him and say, Jesus, help me in my temptation. I don't want to sin. And he comes and he intervenes for us and he delivers us from such a temptation. And if we sin and when we sin, the Bible says we can come to him. And he can comfort us. And he can set us back on that road of walking with him in the spirit. What a beautiful God we have. A merciful, someone who's merciful is somebody who knows what you're going through. Right? If, if you don't, like, you know, sometimes uh, in, in many cases, many, you know, many cases, women to women can relate better than if, if I tell them something. I can tell them, you know, get over it. Just go. You know, and um, a guy can go, yeah, get over it. Yeah, praise the Lord. A woman, oh, oh, he told me to get over it. And it just, it just becomes a really bigger deal. Why? They're just not meant to be like that. I, I can't, I'm not a woman. I'm not a woman. Uh, headline news, I'm not a woman. I have women at home. I have girls at home, daughters, my wife. Um, but Jesus, because he's our high priest, he has been in our shoes, therefore he could be merciful. He can say, hey, you know what? When I was uh, in those 33 years on the earth, I've been rejected. I've been betrayed. I've been put down. I've been beaten. I don't know if anyone's been beaten for, for his sake. But he knows what that is like. He knows how to be lonely. He knows what it's like to be just left aside as nobody, you don't count. He knows what that is like. And he comes around us and he comes like a comforter. And he says, I've been there. I'm helping you through it. The midst of the congregation. Chapter 3, we'll do it another time for another place. But chapter 3 gives us an incredible, incredible encouragement. And I'll leave you with this. 
this message of the cross, of Christmas, of salvation, should not be left aside, should not be rejected, should not be pushed over and say, I don't want to hear it anymore. Chapter 3 says that we're to hold fast to that message with confidence and with hope, firm until the end. And the warning is, don't harden your heart. Don't harden your heart. And the word harden your heart doesn't, I mean, I've told that to people. I've, I've seen people harden their hearts before God. And I said, you're hardening your heart before God. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. They think it's some kind of emotional thing. I still love God, even though I'm sinning. I still love God. I left my husband, but I still love God. That's not what harden your heart means. It's not an emotional thing. Hardening your heart means you hear God's word, and you don't want it to do it. And you're preoccupied doing something else. Something that's away from him. That's what the scripture says, hardening your heart. You hear it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Like my kids. Um, I can say, you harden your heart against me. doesn't mean they don't love me. or you know, They just disobey me. What basically they're doing is they're hearing me, but they're thinking of something else. No, no, no. Oh, yeah, yeah, Dad. Oh, we'll do it. And they go off and they do something else. Imagine us. God is telling us something. Look, 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 look. Here it is. And we go, um, yeah, whatever. And we do, go off doing something else. And the, the temptation was to go away from God. That's the temptation. Go away from God. Don't harden your heart, the book of Hebrews says. If you hear the word of the Lord today, receive it. Believe it. Trust in him. Rely on him. Have his spirit in you. Don't harden your heart like the people in the Old Testament did. That they heard God and they still did whatever they wanted to do. It's called hardening your heart. And the warning is, don't do it because those people never came back. Don't do it because those people that did it constantly never came back. And so don't start hardening your heart against the Lord. The message of Christmas should be the most celebrated message of believers all throughout the world every day of our lives. The power of death, destroy. Power of the devil, destroy. Power of sin, destroy. A new nature, a new brethren, Jesus, and all of us together, one Father, sin atoned for, paid for, promises of glory that are best days ahead of us. The Christian's best days are ahead of us. It's not today. Our best day is ahead. The glory of Jesus surrounding us and being with him be the glory that it can even be expressed. I can talk a lot, as you can tell. But I, sometimes I can't even explain how wonderful and glorifying God is and how much glory he will give us in eternity. How much he has set up for us. I can't even express it. I can only just tell you and have you look at it. And you want that? Hold fast to that confidence. Hold fast. Don't harden your heart. Christmas it's going to happen again. And I can't wait. And I'm going to be there. I pray that you're there too. Confidence. Rejoicing in the Lord. Holding confidence to the true faith right now. Hold confidence to it. Hold fast to it. Don't let it go. Don't harden it. Keep it alive. How? The Word of God. How? It says here that we're to commune with one another. Fellowship with one another. Daily. Ooh. I thought it was just Sundays and Wednesdays. What do you mean? No, daily. Do we have fellowship daily? That's hard, isn't it? 
Is the Bible so impractical that it tells us something that we cannot do? No. It just means that we have to stay faithful to fellowship. It doesn't mean we can do it with every single person all the time, but with believers. And as many times as we can get together, we'll get together. That's what next Sunday important. Those who are not here, call them. Tell them, hey, I'm having a big, giant agape feast. Fellowship together. I was told that we need to do it every day, but Sundays will work. And we come together next week and have an agape feast. What a message. What a God. What a Savior. Jesus is supreme. He is better than anything. Merry Christmas. Merry Jesus Christmas. Because it's going to happen again. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this wonderful word. Wonderful encouragement. Lord, we need to comfort and encourage one another every day. That's what the scripture says. We're to do it daily. Lest the sinfulness of sin, the deception of sin, crawls into our hearts and into our laps. And then we don't know why we're so far from you, Lord. Father, I praise you this day. I honor you, Jesus, and glory and honor to you because you became a man for me and for all of us. You became one of us, Lord. There's one in heaven like us, except glorified. And we are waiting for our, our time. We're waiting for our turn to be glorified. Jesus, until that day comes, we pray that you would fill us with your spirit. We would walk in the spirit. And Lord, we will not endure. Lord, we will not endure the, 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 the death of the unbeliever. The death of the unbeliever, Lord, is hell. The death of the unbeliever, Lord, is eternity and judgment. Lord, thank you that you rescued us from that. And I pray, Father, that those who we know and love will heed the warnings from this book, from our lips, from your lips, Lord, that they would not go in that direction, that they would be saved from the judgment to come. Lord, I thank you that through you we are spared from the wrath to come. And you will deliver us into heaven, Lord, by the word of your power, by the revelation of the Lord, that we will be with you in eternity. Lord, help us to have that confession and rejoice in it and hold fast to it because it's happening soon. In Jesus' name, amen. Be sure to check back next Sunday for the third teaching in our holiday series where I'll be looking at Hanukkah, Christmas, and the return of Christ, part two. Don't forget to check out our YouTube channels, Devour Truth, Morial TV, it's Bible prophecy, Bible teachings, updates, and Christian wisdom that you will not find anywhere else.